Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of going from high tech to high fantasy. This week, we are talking about uh, bringing Fringeworthy and any other high tech kind of game into a fantasy world. Those of you who've been with uh, our podcast for quite some time know that we've had a lot of, of podcasts in the past where we talked about bringing Fringeworthy into Spiral the, 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 the Dragon and into Pokemon World and into uh, the Dragons of Corrin, you know, uh, uh, Dragonlance, and, and a number of other ones, okay? And we've also talked uh, a little bit about the, the idea of, of trading between a world like Fringeworthy and uh, uh, Bureau 13, or even Fringeworthy and a, a world that's medieval. Okay, so uh, we're not gonna we're gonna try not to cover that territory again uh, because we. And if you haven't heard those, please you know, look at our uh, search our uh, podcast list and check those out. Um, we refer to those as uh, uh, gaming and somebody else's intellectual property. Or adding Fringeworthy, or adding Fringeworthy 2, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, that was, yeah. Right, adding Fringeworthy 2, dot, dot, dot. So uh, in this particular case, what we wanted to do is talk about how, uh, you know, how the high-tech and, and fantasy tech actually works together and how it can change some stuff uh, because, you know, and, and how it works out in a real campaign, because I and my personal campaign have just gone through this. Uh, we, uh, in Fringeworthy, there is a really big group of, of, uh, of a, a sort of a competing Fringeworthy group called the Coptics, which are based upon uh, a, 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 a historical group of uh, Egyptian Christians who, assuming that they essentially became the new Holy Roman Empire and things moved up into the 1950s, uh, what would that world be like and what would they be like, assuming that they maintained their religious fur? So we're really talking about a highly religious a group that, uh, but has not, not super tech, but modern tech, okay? Uh, and one of the things, you know, so we, in the game that we were running, we said, okay, look, these guys are working their way toward the area of influence that is fringeworthy with the new Commonwealth uh, and the, the players. And and so IDET, uh, or the IDA, uh, the Interdimensional Authority, comes to the team and says, look, okay, you know, we I know we all, you know, believe in, in the the rules of engagement from the UN and stuff like that, but these people are not going to stop. These people need to be stopped. We you know we need to draw a line in the sand. We need to make sure that they don't get any further closer to us, or we're gonna have some real trouble in uh, you know in 
I'm not quite sure when, but definitely within the next uh, 50 years, maybe. Uh, so let's not do that. Uh, you guys need to go out there and do whatever it takes to stop them, to convince them to not try to expand in this direction anymore. And we think we found a spot that could really work for you. And that is the location that we previously have said is where Forgotten Realms, the D&D &D property from TSR and now Wizards, uh, exists. It is a node on the fringe paths. Whatever you got to do. I thought this campaign was finally done. You're still going with it just with the after effects, though. Oh. They still haven't figured out how to stop the Coptics from going any further. They might not take this world, but they can still use the platform, yeah. Right. So they have been learning some stuff about, says, well, you know, undead, you know, uh, they, did, they, 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 they do know some things now that they didn't know before because they are in the late campaign. For example, they know that, they can, that there's creatures that they can freeze uh, below 200 degrees centigrade, and the French Path won't recognize them as being alive. And so fringeworthy people can just sh shuttle them through. Trolls. There's creatures that regenerate. <laughs> oh. Oh. Okay, I'm going to try to make this PG. That, that's a phallic move there. That's a phallic move. You do understand that the Coptics using poison gas and, and basically, you know, subverting governments the way that they do, it's a pretty phallic move, too. It all's fair in love and interdimensional war. Yeah, but still. Like I said, whatever it takes. They, now, they haven't actually come up with a troll idea, though they, they do notice as well, you know, we can take all the undead, we can get them through the portal because they're not alive, they're not intelligent. So we can basically send as many undead as we want, and we can just, as long as, as, long as we can keep them going, and, you know, they also need to find enough wizards to basically be fringeworthy and stay on the platform and keep reanimating them. So there's an, a, a never-ending supply of uh, of undead to basically stand on that platform and and uh, keep you know stop the Coptics from basically going any further. So they're they're going to have to come up with a whole big thing about it because you know of course the Coptics can can roll big canister bombs through the portal and detonate on the other side and you know cause problems like that. So. There is something that they're going to have to do to protect their own. What we're trying to, what they're trying to do, is say you need to stop the Coptics to protect your own world. You've seen what they will do. You need to commit as a world to keeping the Coptics from getting any further down the, the fringe pass. Stop, keep them back. So after all this, they're, the people that they're working with are pretty convinced about this. So it's really just a matter of coming up with a workable solution and finding enough fringe-worthy, which they haven't done, okay? And, of course, they also know a lot of things that they didn't know before. For example, they know that they, that napalm works really well against uh, tamellarum plastic, which is, you know, which, which is a, a technique that they've been using to, to win worlds. Didn't you tell me that one of the PCs actually became a paladin of Joaquin? Finally, the doctor that came up with the... The virus? The virus, yeah. He's the paladin. He's not a paladin. He's a cleric. He became a priest of Joaquin. Oh, I thought he was a cleric. I thought you had said paladin. 
He thought he was a paladin, but he realized that that wasn't really who he was. He wasn't like a stand-up fighter type. He really was somebody who was trying to promote the idea of, you know, because because every time he promoted the idea of fair dealing, which is Joaquin's big thing, it was good for them because it made people keep their bargains with them. <laughs> the first group that basically Joaquin intervened with was the Red Wizards, who tried to write a lot of extra clauses into the agreement with the Fringeworthy yeah. using invisible, using hidden ink, and you know, there's a spell that makes you, you know, it's an illusionary script that basically hides stuff. Yeah, and they're like saying, "Just sign it; it's all good." And Joaquin basically intervened and said, "No, this is not." You know, a, a fair bargain, and killed, killed the priest, the the, the like one of the last remaining priests of Joachim who had decided to go to to go with this when they shouldn't have, and that's when they everyone said, "Joachim's back, folks. You 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 got to come up with a with a good one this time," and he became essentially the avatar for Joachim. Oh, then became you know gained priestly powers, was able to use priestly items. And uh, and stuff like that. So uh, I I think this character is going. He's going to retire this character and possibly leave him on Faerun, uh, uh as part of the remaining Fringeworthy force, uh, just um, because of all the stuff that's happened to his character and how he's now so t- closely tied to this world. Yeah. And he's also tired of playing the character. <laughs> he loves making new characters. So the fact he's played the same character now for almost two years is is, is kind of grating on him, I think. <laughs> so every t- every time we have a session, I'm like, are we over yet? Is it be done yet? You know. And of course, I keep pulling shenanigans on them. They're right now going through a dungeon. I said, you see this door on the right hand side? <laughs> and they say, well, let's see what it is. And of course, they're. <laughs> <laughs> They're fighting big giant statues going across chessboard floors with traps. Oh. And, and I'm like, going, you know, you guys don't have to. Do, I'm not saying it to them. I'm saying it to myself. They didn't have to do this. I was just throwing this at them for them to get a little taste of this. If they keep going, we're going to be doing this for another couple months. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been really, really crazy. Uh, with all this, with the fact that they, they, they have brought a lot of technology to this world. And it's it's been really hard to kind of like do uh, an end run around the gods. Because the gods clearly don't, you know, like the way the world is as a medieval world. And, it, and the gods are not going to want it to become super industrialized and all the rest of that stuff. So... Uh, so far, they, they haven't run into the gods suddenly coming out with new edicts. Uh, especially since they've been getting rid of the Coptics, which was actually probably would have been an even more disruptive force. Well, yeah, bringing in, a, bringing, bringing in the influence of a totally new deity. Right. Yeah, that, you're, you're, yeah. it's like all these gods are going to get, I mean, even ones like Bane and all the bad Faerunian gods are going, it, it's going to be like West Side Story. Okay, you're on our turf. Yeah. Get out. Right. As long as they followed the rules... The gods, you know, weren't intervening, except that when the player characters first got there and did this stuff, they put this mark on every one of their foreheads called a doom that glowed, which has been a, a, a bane and also a blessing to them this entire time. Because people who see them avoid them because they've got a doom on them. 
<laughs> those are people that are going to cause trouble. Those are people that's going, going to attract b bad things. On the other hand, God put it on them. So when they start, they gave them authority when they started speaking to people. They People listened to them that probably wouldn't have listened to them. And so, in, and, and, and as I was telling them from the very beginning, you may find, you know, before the end of this adventure, that this isn't a curse, but it's actually a blessing, and you are actually the agents of the, of the, of the pantheon itself. And uh, they've totally forgotten about that, I think, though. But that's exactly what's going on. They, they, they are getting rid of the Coptics. <laughs> you know, Faerun will never be the same. Well, no. Because of all the new stuff that they did bring in. But at the same time, is, is that, you know, <clears throat> there's going to be trade now, more trade. But since this is so far away from Earth Prime, uh, they're probably not going to do a whole lot of trade with them. They're probably going to be much more interested in doing trade with uh, Karim. Because A, that's closer. B, electronics works there. Uh, there's less of a, of a god influence against them. In that world, you know, instead of the god saying, no, you can't have explosions, explosions just don't work. That's where they're at. So we, we found out that a large amount of napalm is, is basically a double-edged sword. <laughs> we found out that, uh, that poison gas in large quantities can really turn the tide in your favor, but uh, can also, you know, if someone gets their hands on it, can also be turned against you. Keeping a low profile and, and keeping it under wraps, what you're doing, slowly taking over a world... What was worked on so many worlds before is that when the leader uh, ends up taking over the entire country, the strong man, okay, and becomes, you know, whatever, he's usually okay with the idea of everybody believing in them because they're his biggest supporters. Nothing about their religion is keeping him from power. So for most of these strong men uh, and, uh, and strong women... It's been a good way of consolidating his power. You know, a monolithic religion can really help you win the hearts and minds of people because everybody, in a generation, everybody's grown up in one religion. Everybody believes it. So it's what they do. It's what they know. And you get rid of all the other religions. But by doing it, by saying, you're just, you're agreeing to it, you know, or, you know, if they don't like it, they're going to fight his country, which is already, you know, the the um, most powerful military on the world and it's, and it's going to continue to grow and grow until it finally covers the planet because that's what they do and what and they just basically go in there and take their tribute and they they gain the additional uh, kudos of having another world that believes in in their beliefs and it's another whole world for them to find fringeworthy and add that to their exploration and their imperialism it's worked really well in the past this, on this particular world, it didn't work as well because you had this group of people, the Fringeworthy, Idet, who went around pulling the curtain back from the Wizard of Oz and saying, hey, this is what these guys are really doing. This is what's going on. So they had to be a little bit more aggressive than they had been in the past and go with a really strong man, which was the dragon. Yeah. They were able to convince you know, an entire country to back them. And that made all the difference. Because usually, there's nobody really stopping them. The only people that the strongman has to deal with are the other people on that world. 
and they don't believe in interdimensional, you know, uh, invaders and things like that. <laughs> The, the biggest thing was the fact is that they kept going and saying, this is what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. You know, this is how it works. Even in the places like on Corinne where the guy was, you know, might, you know, did survive, might have survived and is still trying to do it. It's going to be a really harder job now because, you know, everyone's, everyone's wise to, to what, you know, his tricks and stuff. They're all going to be looking to see whoever, you know, uh, it's like if you play the game Spades, okay? You always want to make sure that you, you know, don't let someone get a run. So you always, even if you have to make a sacrifice and take a, you know, uh, take a couple spades yourself, you do that so that nobody else can get all the spades. You know, the, 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 the uh, Coptic methodology is basically don't let anyone know that you've got all the spades until the end, at which point you just go and take everything. And, but they couldn't do that this time. What other parts of uh, technology on a, uh, on a world like Faerun or Corinne or any, any other magical world have we not covered? Have I been enrapturing you with my little tale of, of my campaign? Let, let's face it, and you did bring this up here on, on the outline. Medicine and churches, because healing... On these worlds, you have to go, I mean, you might have an alchemist or you might have a herbalist, but in bigger cities, any type of hospital type building would be under the control of the church because they are the ones with the healing magic. For a substantial donation to our parish, we can, you know, help you, you know, with your game leg or we can bring your friend back to life of course for a substantial donation you know so all of a sudden you got these guys coming in with things like antibiotics and you know just modern medical technology like the uh, making oh you can make plaster and yeah you just have your arm in a sling and the you know we we reset the bone and give it about six to eight weeks and you'll be able to use your arm again and just, you know, have, you know, your, you know, you know, get somebody to, you know, knock that cast off or yeah. And you know, your arm will be fine. I mean, it might ache a little the next time a storm comes by, but you'll be able to use your arm. Things <laughs> like that where these churches and like our own various churches are established religions. They're not going to like, even if you don't have, um, let's say you're on a world that because of the laws of chemistry, and I'll use the second world as an example, let's say on the second world, you know, pharmaceuticals don't work again because of expert chemistry doesn't work, higher levels of chemical function. You still don't need that. If you have modern medical science on how to do splints and dentistry and... Um, just, you know, things that even might have been in the early 20th century, medical techniques, surgery, if you get, okay, we need a highly distilled alcohol. Yes, I'm pouring it on the patient. Quit crying that your booze is gone. Trust me. And you do surgery. These churches are going to lose their stuff. They're going, wait a minute. Okay, so we just basically, this person, 
had this problem that we could have cast a spell and gotten thousands of gold pieces for. And they did this. Yeah, they're going to be in bed for, you know, weeks. And all we're doing is giving them a heal spell after they do this surgery. And therefore, it's going to cut into our profits from we're going from 60,000 gold pieces down to like 2,000. Because all we have to do is do a cure light spell. No, churches aren't going to like that. Churches are going to be like, no, you're doing things that cut into our profit base. And you're also messing with the heads of the people, say, you know, belittling the power that we have from our God. Right. You know, and, and these gods and these churches are going to make it really hard for people with modern medical technology, not even with pharmaceuticals, just modern medical technique. They're, the churches are really going to go up in arms about that. Mm -hmm. and, and not just that, restorative services, you know, pros modern prosthetics. Okay, you could basically give you know people considerable amount of function back that before they were cripples. At the most, they might have had a peg leg. They're sitting in a box begging for money. Yeah, and now you can you know you you basically give them new legs, uh, or at least give them uh, uh, a wheelchair that they can actually move around in, mechanical arms, you know that they can do stuff. Eyeglasses. When have you ever seen anybody with eyeglasses? In, uh, in a medieval world. Hearing aids. Oh, yeah. Oh, this device, as long as you are able to keep it charged, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, things like hearing aids and robotic, you have to come up then with the infrastructure in order to do all that. I mean, we don't want like oh, yeah. too high a technology. Yeah, we're talking just even modern medical techniques, like, as I said, splinting an arm. Because most of the time you'd break that arm and it would just be either hanging limp or, you know, the, the, the hacksaw doctors back in a medieval world, they just cut it off. They'd give you something to bite on, a lot of booze, and just say, okay, here we go. Boom. And then hope that you don't lose the rest of the arm to infection. And all of a sudden then you're doing things like, you know, that, yeah, oh no, no. Hospitals, and especially the gods themselves, would be looking down and go, wait a minute, what, what's this guy doing? No, no, stop that. You guys get over there and stop them from doing that. You know, the gods might bring their powers to bear on. Yeah, the, the gods are always going to be the wild card where you might not be able to do everything that you want to do. Maybe, you know, because of the clerics, you can, like, you know, you can cut a deal. You can basically say this technology can still, we'll, you know, we'll teach you this technology which will help everybody and it can be blessed technology through you guys. So you guys still get something. Oh, if you want to do things like, and, and, and folks, I've told you the books that you can go get for OGL if you want to do like magical cybernetics. Um, but yeah, if you were to sit there and get the clerics into magical cybernetics, like, yeah, this guy lost his arm. Well, Okay, we mix our technology with your magic and you have it done in, you know, a magical lab there because we know you guys have, you know, if you can make arms and armor and craft wondrous items in your little back room magic shops, after a while you can do this. We will build well, that, you up to the point where you could do that. Yeah, well, that just makes sense. If if you're going to, to go to another world uh, with technology to trade knowledge of that technology to trade say medical technology you're not going to go find the farmer in the field and teach him 
medical techniques. You're going to go no. to people who are already performing that role. It's, in most magical worlds would be a cleric. Or had the time to learn. That too, yeah. Yeah. Because clerics, you know, they, they do. <laughs> they, they, have, they have time. They're supposed to study and they have prayers and things like that. But you can take a bunch of them and put them aside to say, learn this. But if you were to have, like, the clerics of a city, and let's say they're running a hot, you know, what, what do they call the paladins? Hospitalers. And I think there was even, like, a prestige class in 3-5 where it was a type of paladin who dealt specifically with healing and the sick. And, you know, the picture kind of looked like a mm. Templar. But if you sit there and, let's say, really enterprising people... You know, you could teach these clerics to do things like make magical technomagic cybernetics or what in the books Arsenal and Factory by Perpetrated Press, Dwonetics. And yeah, you could have a cleric cast the spell and okay, yeah, this arm, yeah, it's like sort of metallic looking, but it moves. Yeah, you're not going to have any sense of feel, but it's going to move as yours did. You think it moves and you're still making the profit. Matter of fact, these things are expensive. People who, let's say they've lost limbs to adventuring, they've got the money to do this and you're still getting a profit. Now, the really enterprising modern day people will be going, of course, you do realize we gave this to you. We still want to cut. Yeah, just put it put it in the <laughs> vault. We'll, we'll come and pick up the money every few months, you know. So, yeah. I, it, it could happen. Yeah, you're donating to our church. Yeah, we will go back and with this money that we help you make, you know, we got churches back home we have to, you know, you know, tithe to. Yeah, I was trying to look for that term. But no, I, I still think that introducing not even just medicine, but medical science techniques, that could be incredibly well, helpful. You, oh, God, trying to teach... A healer, but okay. Some of y'all might remember some of us older. Jonathan, I don't know if you remember Bruce. I know the Voyagers series with John Eric Hexum and Mino Pellucci, the time traveler and the kid, right? With the little uh, Omni device. Yeah, it was only one season. It was like out in the eighties. Um, yeah, but they went back to the time of Robin Hood. And this brings up the whole thing where Robin Hood, supposedly the, the Omni was red because Robin Hood got shot with an arrow and he was dying of infection. So Jeffrey, the kid, is trying to explain to Alan Adale and Friar Tuck about germ theory. Give me your alcohol. I need to cleanse the wound. What are you doing pouring our wine? On? Trust me, he will survive. Clean the wound. And he's trying to explain the germs. And I remember... Because the guy who played Friar Tuck was the same guy who played Perkins on in Sheriff Lobo and BJ and the Bear, that heavy set guy with the mustache. <laughs> if you remember that series. Okay. Anyways, and he's there. Well, how do we fight these germs? Well, they're really small. You can't see them. Then how do we fight them? Just give me the wine, you know, and patches him up. And, you know, and he's trying to, he just, it's like, Point me at an enemy, I'll slay it. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> and so after a while, yeah, and it's like, okay, we'll feed Robin beef broth and have him rest and make sure that he doesn't have a fever or anything and he should be up and around in a couple of weeks. And, you know, it worked, you know. So, yeah, he's trying to explain germ theory to people in, you know, the 1300s. You really explain germ theory to even... Because remember, in a lot of societies... 
the only people that were literate were the clergy. Good example, ancient Egypt. Most of the people in ancient Egypt didn't know how to read or anything. It was the clergy that, that, that was something for them. There are certain times royalty didn't even know how to read. They just, you know, left that all to the high priest. Or the scribes. But yeah, try, yeah right, exactly. And just, yeah, trying to explain germ theory, I, I think that'd be just beyond them. You could get them started along the path. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't get it right away. I mean, you'd have to give them the very ba- basic well, building blocks of that. You'd have to show them the benefits firsthand, like in that, that example where you have a sick person come in and you say, all right, he needs to be in a room completely by himself. No one, Don't let anyone else near him. What? It's a curse. It'll spread. Now, just, <laughs> just keep yeah, him right, away. Yeah, right, exactly. You need to, yeah, it's like, okay, you need to keep him away, give him rest. And as I said, give me your strongest booze. You're going to give it a drink. No, sure we're going to pour it on the wound. Make sure you wash your hands thoroughly before you take care of him. What? Why was that? Guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll live. Well, yeah, again, and what What did they call him when you didn't wash your hands? And it the humors. Yeah, it's like, no, oh, I don't yeah. wash it. No, the story of the humors is like, do you want to live? Listen to me. <laughs> Listen to me if you want to live. Yeah. Look, um, your humor theory is nice, but let me tell you, you don't want to give him your humors. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. Okay? No, no. We're trying to save the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me sit you know, like McCoy there in Star Trek 4. Let me save this man. Yeah. Right. Well, you basically have having a taste of what these people have been going through every session for the last two years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They finally convinced the uh, the Red Wizards that they knew their stuff. You know that that even though the Red and, and once the Red Wizards start reading these books, you know they're like like oh look at this and oh yeah well yeah the Red Wizards are not are not idiots. These guys they do the day I think they do dabble in pe- techno magic and of course they know of the Halruin airships and I think Halruin is fair ruin map in my head south west of them and they do trade so they know of things they are very learned men despite being you know evil rat sobs the fans they're 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 evil but they're learned <laughs> right they're smart and evil which is always a dangerous combination it was no surprise to me that they ended up with them as far as being allies because everybody else was like yeah okay what you're saying might be true but really i think you're overblowing the 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 danger you know what? You know we we've run. We, you know we we you know we kicked the butts of the, of, of the red wizards before. So I'm sure we can handle your Coptic people. Well, the thing is, the Thans. I don't think they were doing it out of nicety. They the Thans are anything but altruistic. They just didn't want another power player in the area. Oh yeah, one less enemy we have to deal with. Fine. Oh yeah, it was that, but it was it was mostly because they saw this as a means of of basically introducing a whole new dimension to the knowledge that they did have as far as alchemy and science. You know the the basically uh, the basic understanding of the world. Well, yeah, I mean, they already had alchemy down because you have things like Tanglefoot bags, Thunderstones, all that stuff. And just yeah. alchemy, remember, our in our world, alchemy was the stepping stone to what we know as modern chemistry today. So I'm sure after a while, a fan wizard will be sitting there in his, you know, his wizard's tower and his magical lab. 
and start his seeing copy connections. of the periodic table of elements. Exactly. And things like, <laughs> Provided let's by say, oh, what else for botany? Oh, God. The guy who crossbred peas, Gregor Mendel. Yeah. Mm. For botany. And all of a sudden, you know, doing that, you know, making, you know, after a while he'll realize, oh, cross hybridization of plants will make stronger plants that it'll, you know, harder for insects to, and we'll get a bigger yield and all that. And after a while, these wizards, these red wizards will start seeing, applying science to, and you will go from agriculture to industrialized agriculture, where you will start an industrial revolution there and they. Now, when they realize that's how a middle class is formed, okay, that whole slave thing, they might start getting a little touchy, but, you know. And and just, yeah, it's science and technology. Adding it is going to disrupt a lot of power bases on these worlds because either the guilds and the churches and whatnot aren't going to like it, or because you are trying to up the technology level, a lot of these gods, as Bruce said, made these edicts saying, okay, you can only invent up to this point. We know... I think the gods, even if they're not technologically savvy, they they're they are um, not omniscient. They can see through time and stuff. They're gonna go, okay, no, this is a bad idea. We're not letting this happen here. No. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Let's no, see. no, no, no. What's no, gonna no, happen no, if they no. do that? Uh, let's fast forward the tape. Okay, no. <laughs> well, this is one of the reasons why I I I was letting them do as much as they did was because the gods were basically watching to see what they did, to see what ideas they came up with where. Where do they find the holes in the edicts and such? You know, so you were having your players basically trying to out semantic gods. Yeah, but also the fact they were teaching the gods. You know, what would if we if you do bring this in, then the technology to be able to create this, then that means that these other things are going to happen. So uh, it was also, you know, I guess, in some ways, gratifying to the gods to find out that ninety percent of the people that were in, were involved on this world were perfectly happy the way things were and didn't want anything to change. Yeah, it's just, no, we we don't want explosions that big. No. Yeah. Yes, we know it's how, it's stopping a bad guy, but no. Yeah. No, I have to plant there next fall or next spring. Yeah. <laughs> right. So ultimately, I would say that because the whole northwestern part of the, of the, of the continent was never touched by this at all. This all occurred in the southern, the south, the south middle, and the southwest part of the continent. Oh no! You know, Waterdeep got wind of this. Oh, I'm sure they heard about it. Waterdeep is was probably the closest thing Faerun had to a mega city. Yeah, and you know, people like Blackstaff and Elminster, they're like, wait a minute, what was that explosion that I felt? They're doing what down there with who? Against, you know, like my daughter would say, you're doing what with who for how many muffins? Yeah. Same thing. Elminster and and Blackstaff and, um, oh, there's the woman all in silver. I forget her name. She's a friend of them. But you know, they're all up there in the north and the northwest just go shaking their heads going, this is not going to end well. No, we <laughs> might want to keep an eye on these newbies. Yeah. I just going to have to decide, you know, what they want to do as far as any further contact on this world outside of setting up this, basically this line in the sand that the Coptics won't be able to cross. Um, but uh, I, I, they, they certainly have lost an awful lot of soldiers 
priests and, and other officers from the Coptic army uh, uh, as a result of this battle. So uh, it's certainly going to make them think twice. Of- yeah, yeah. There's a point between religious zealotry and just the people there on the front, because they're the Coptics aren't going to be able to go back to their world and say, yeah, you know what, we lost like, you know, out of 200 men, we lost 150 on this world. Yeah, some guys came in with things, you know, tech better than ours. And just, No, after a while, the Coptic there in charge of that particular battalion that went to Fairroom is just going, you know, we have key. Yeah, give me, give me the key. Yeah, the glowy triangle thing. Yeah, lock, we're done. We've lost too many men, Ooh, too much yeah. equipment. This is not worth our time. Do the Coptics have a really high level crystal? Yeah, that that'd be up to you know the particular GM. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. That's why this is all happening on the alternate platform because they would have to get past that alternate platform to go and try to lock down Feyrun. Okay, so uh, there are no things that block you know the lock the lock down the pathway portals. Right. Uh, so it really comes down to is is it you know if you come through this world, come through here and you get basically get your butts kicked every time you do it. You know, it's like touching that hot stove. After a while, you're not going to do it. Yeah, burned in you. Yeah, you're not going to do that again. Yeah, right. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do in order to to set up this like I say this line in the sand. But ultimately, uh, they made it hard enough that the Coptics will probably say you know. While we're digesting all the information that we ran into and the reports we got of these fringeworthy and the techniques that were the tactics that were used uh, in this this battle and this war, says why don't we just expand the other direction for a while? If the players decide to go with events that are in Portals Four, then as you know, IDET comes to peace with the Coptics. Anyways, but the point is, is that there is, you know, there, there's something that happens and you can't go that route to, you know, to doing that. Because they've learned a lot about the Coptics that they didn't know before. Uh, there's also the, the possibility of perhaps creating some kind of a dialogue with them. I mean, the Coptics are still going to be the Coptics. They're not going to give up their faith. Well, right. The, com- the common right. ground that, that I de- I, Unita and... The Coptics are going to have to, you know, if they try to find a common dialogue, that just really, I mean, it, it's your particular group have already done a lot of shady stuff, right? So that that cop that that Coptic, and it basically at best they would have to do a non-aggression pact if they were to try to go that route. Just like, okay, we agree on these certain levels, on these points. We will work from there. And it would have to be after this war winds down where, okay, we know you can do this and you know we can do this. Okay, balance of power. Yeah. You come at us with A, we will hit you with B. Right. Do we really want to keep going on this? I hate to say it that the war that has already happened between them is going to be the common ground. The pure firepower that each side has... It's going to be like, okay, we're fighting over this world. Are we going to end up fighting over a cinder or scorched earth? Do we really want that? Is it really profitable to either of us? Do we want to keep fighting over worlds? 
I mean, the next the next platform they go uh, portal they uh, platform they go to, they might have to fight the iDebt all over again. You know, if the iDebt is going to be basically screwing the pooch on every new world they go to from this point on, they may have to rethink their tactic. You know, unless of course somebody comes, you know, you decide to completely change your campaign and say everybody's fringe worthy. Now, of course, you can have massive wars on the fringe pass, which is why, of course. They, they put the filter there in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was interesting to see all the different technologies that we were able to introduce in a, in a feasible way and to have actually a, a fairly, uh, basically an equivalent of a World War II combat in the middle of a fantasy world. It was actually a lot of fun for me. The players seemed to have a good time. Uh, they especially liked being able to use their... Uh, special equipment. Each one of them had gathered a whole bunch of special equipment by the end of it uh, and was using you know, various super tech type items that were still plausible in the world that uh, either they were Tamelaran artifacts or they were, uh, so they, they worked even in this reality or uh, they, they were able to use their modern knowledge to co-op the technologies of uh, this particular place. Make a big difference. They still have to figure out how to secure that platform. But I think at this point, with the friends that they've made and the resources that are available to them, they should be able to do it. And I think they're going to be happy with the results. Though, of course, you know, this story might be something that they only tell people late at night under sworn secrecy because, you know, it, it's, it's definitely it was uh, uh, what they refer to as wet work. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, they were told, okay, do whatever is necessary. The UN Charter is not going to help you here. And also the fact that they were that far out. Well, I mean, we've already said, we've always said with Fringeworthy, the farther you away from Earth Prime or whatever world you come from, the less you really have to follow the rules because who's going to tell? I mean, if you are the band of six people that are on this team and you're 50 platforms out, it's just you six. You are very self-reliant. And there are times that, yes, you will follow the IDET Prime Directive Charter that the UN put out, and it's there in Fringeworthy uh, D20. But there are just certain times you have to do what needs to be done. Well, as long as you're being true to yourself. Yeah, the, the, the thing is, though, there are some people, I am sure, because remember, a lot of times this is war, and there are you do things in a war situation that you have to live with yourself for the rest of your life. I mean, there may be that, that time there in a campaign and I'm talking a campaign, you know, like against the Coptics or against the Mellor or against the French. There are times that you are, you're going to have to do things that you don't want to talk about because it brings back some horrible memories. You get pushed to your limit and you and your group have to live with the consequences. You know, it's like the whole thing in Stargate Atlantis. You destroyed three-quarter of a star system. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it just... But the farther out you are away from your your home base, yeah, you tend to do what you have to do because you are self-reliant and you kind of don't have the that overwatch. Yeah. Well, that was always their situation. They had to decide, you know, whether... How you know what rules they could break and what rules they couldn't, and 
of course, the, the doctor was from, a, he's basically, he's an evil, he's an evil mastermind. He's basically a bad guy, but on the worlds that he comes from, you know, he's high, he's basically the equivalent of Matthias Bolt, except, you know, he's a doctor. Oh. Ah. Okay. He does all kinds of genetic experiments on people and stuff like that. And, and, uh, but he also like, you know, uh, has these great hospitals on all these different worlds because they provide them a ready a ready supply of subjects, but they also help heal the the, the local population. So it's kind of like, well, they, they, you lose a, a small percentage of your population due to my research, but the rest of your population grant gains immensely. Oh, I'm a, a good guy. So he's very, very. On the, but the other hand, to temper him, the, the 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 person with the giant robot is essentially a Japanese um, uh, samurai, and she hated his crap. Every time he opened his mouth, she's like, "No, no, no." <laughs> oh, so so wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So basically, the guy who became the cleric of Joaquin and dealt with fair play was a mad scientist posing as a philanthropist. Yes. So, yeah, lawful evil, okay, because, yeah, he... Yes. Yeah, but... Definitely. You said that he did the bioengineered virus on the side. Yeah, he had the technology to do it. Yeah, you do realize if and when that ever comes out, yeah, your 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 other player characters are going to beat him into gelato... Oh, they don't know he did it. No, they don't know he. When, if, and when they find out, though, that giant what what's the term that Stone Cold said? That giant robot is going to stomp a mud hole in him and walk it dry. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Yeah, I know. I'm saying it's, it may never happen. He may, you know, that truth may never come to light. For his sake, it better not. Yeah, <laughs> she's been the one who's who's been the like we can't you know we can only bend the rules of IDET. We can't break them, and he's like, okay, that's fine. Oh, by the way, I got to go do an errand, so I'll I'll be back. <laughs> Please tell me that this mad scientist does not have a Termellor dock box. Uh, no, he doesn't. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. He has weird science, and we are using Savage Worlds, so he has all has all the weird healing rules and stuff. Yeah, and of course now he's a cleric. He's he's thrown in a bunch of uh, of stuff. He's, he's also thrown in the, uh, uh, the 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 arcane background, you know, uh, religious or whatever. It is. Yeah. So he's got that going too. So yeah, as I was saying, is that he may not leave this world because this world may just be too much of a playground for him. Oh boy. Oh, yeah, boy. yeah. I think we got to draw this to a close. It was really interesting to see what kind of technology they could figure. And when you gave them the limitations of no electricity and no explosions, what kind of technology they were able to come up with that would still work on this world, and how they were able to, as a small group, you know, be able to leverage the main thing that they had, which was information to gain allies and to build consensus amongst the rulers to allow them to bring a, a competent force against the Coptics and finally, you know, beat, uh, beat them. I'm going to be interested, of course, to see how it all ends up 
because they are in the dragon's cave and they are having uh, going to have a final confrontation with both the dragon and the guy that essentially is the the last remaining priest of the of the Coptics that are th- that's there. Oh, the last officer, and see what they uh, you know what they do. That's something that I'm going to have to find out because it hasn't happened yet. I'll let you guys know. And if it's interesting enough, I'll let you, uh, our, our listeners know too. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this uh, and this uh, kind of recap of our uh, of this this very long campaign, and just give you some idea of what can be done by mixing these two technology, modern a modern kind of genre with uh, medieval fantasy, high magic uh, genre. And there are a number of books out there that do this sort of thing. Um, I'm thinking of the Doomfairs of Comorond. There was one called Camelot. I, I, there was a series of three books where you know they, they actually dealt with this idea of there being magic and technology working side by side. If you have some be- uh, some more examples of that, please let us know on our Facebook group, the uh, fans of uh, the uh, Gaming on uh, the Frontier, and let us know how we can help you uh, have more exciting campaigns in the future with topics. But uh, in the meantime, we will have something for you next week. So until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.